0: Well, good morning. Oh, it's so good to see everybody today at our South Campus, North Campus, our online family, whether you're in the region or around the world. It is incredible to be with you. And if you are new with us, I want to say uh, it's just a special honor to have you with us. I just need you to know a reality. If you look around and you think this is a place where everybody's got everything together, you just don't need to come back next week if that's what you're looking at. We are a people who in no way have it all together, but we are confident we serve one who has everything together. We are confident that his story overcomes our story, and he can enable us to live the life he designed us to live as we live in union with him, as we live just taking step after step with him. Earlier this week, uh, I returned from Haaretz Israel, the land of Israel. We as a church, our leadership is convinced that there is a move of God coming to the world that is tied to the promised salvation of the Jewish people. I don't have time to unpack it for you. You might just want to read Romans 9, 10, and 11 this week. It lays it out in great clarity, and you'll see what I'm talking about. But we have several ministry partners in Israel who are spending their lives seeing um, Jewish people have the best opportunity possible to have their eyes open to the reality of Jesus. And I'm going to be honest with you. I think what they do is one of the most difficult things in the world. Here's why it, the Bible indicates that the enemy of humanity, Satan, has great awareness of the Word of God. When Jesus was tempted in the wilderness, the enemy started quoting scripture at Jesus. Misquoting, taking it out of context, but he quoted at Jesus. So he's aware of the promises. He is aware of what God has promised, that there are greater riches coming to the world that are tied to the salvation of Jewish men and women. So the enemy labors with special diligence with a special force against those who are battling to see Israel saved. And so my wife and I, along with one of our spiritual fathers here, a guy named Don Finto, he's a mere 92 years of age now, and I was telling people, I'm taking Don Finto to Israel, but he, in reality, took me. He drugged me all over the land of Israel from tip to tip, just wanting to minister to the hearts of people who are there, who, to encourage them, um, because they've been in some of the most severe COVID restrictions any place on planet Earth. So we traveled the nation, just meeting with leader after leader, all of our partners and several others, and we heard reality like. In the last two years, they have been in complete lockdown for at least nine months of that time. Complete lockdown for them is is not like what we experienced for the short period of time. They were confined to their houses or apartments. They live in very small structures. Most of them have no yards. The vast majority of Israel lives in an apartment. Those apartments will be 700 to 900 square feet. They'll have three, four, five, six kids. And they were locked down for months at a time with one person being able to leave the house once a week to go get enough groceries for that family. And they don't have room to store that many groceries and such in life. We heard about 27% unemployment. Just to give you a a reference point, during the Great Depression, America did not have unemployment of 27%. And so they have battled through a lot. But we also heard this reality. They're saying Israelis are open to the reality of talking about Jesus, not necessarily embracing Jesus, but open to the reality of talking about Yeshua more than they have ever been in the past two decades. We heard about just like situation after situation of what they're going through. One of our ministry partners, just give you an example, one of our ministry partners faced this ongoing persecution against followers of Jesus uh, in the land of Israel. Israel supposedly has religious freedoms, but oftentimes that's more in word than in action. So one of our ministry partners bought a building seven years ago and have been trying to move into that building for seven years but they have been thwarted step by step with obstacles from the city government. And you wonder why would the city government do that? Because behind the scenes they have a very powerful rabbinic council in that city. The rabbis do not want Jesus followers telling people about the reality of Jesus so they have been using their influence for seven years to come up with another hurdle. And another hurdle, and another hurdle, and our partners had to take the city to court. They got to almost the highest court in the land, and they just found out the other day that the court has ruled against the city. The city has to allow them to do all that they're called to do, and we hope that we can get them into their building into the next few months. See, we heard and we prayed a great deal. But it was interesting to me that as we prayed about so many things, so many obstacles, so many hurdles, all the COVID stuff, one thing stood out above everything else they ask us to pray about. Always, without fail, pray about my children or my grandchildren. I was contemplating this on the way home because you have a lot of time when you fly to Israel. Uh, coming back and I'm meditating on what we experienced and all the people we talked to. I just, man, kid after kid they wanted us to pray for. Grandchild after grandchild. But as I thought about it, it makes perfect sense, does it not? You don't have to be a parent, you don't have to be called to that station in life to understand that healthy parents long for their children to have the very best in life. Healthy parents sacrifice so that their kids can have the best in life. And when that doesn't happen, we know something is greatly long. Like this week, I was reading it just through my daily Bible reading. I was reading in Isaiah and 2 Kings. And there's a guy in the Bible by the name of Hezekiah. Have you heard of him? Hezekiah was actually a godly king of Judah. He led um, the people of Judah in godly ways when a lot of kings in before and after him didn't do so. And he saw powerful moves of God. Like one time, the Assyrians came against Judah. They had surrounded Jerusalem. But the prophet Isaiah said, stand strong and you'll see the deliverance of God. God. And in one night, the angel of the Lord slew the entire Assyrian army. 185,000 put to death in one night. Another time, Hezekiah found himself with the disease. He had boils all over his, his body. The prophet came to him and said, hey dude, I'm sorry, you're going to die. Hezekiah went to the temple. He threw himself out before the altar of God and said, God, I ask for mercy and I ask for grace. And God heard him and he relented, and he allowed him to live another 15 years because he had sought after him in that way. But towards the end of his life, Hezekiah found himself in a situation where there were emissaries from an emerging nation that showed up in Israel, a place you might have heard of called Babylon. And we don't know why he did this, but it's likely due to a spiritual pride that it crept in. Have you discovered yet that, God doesn't, that the enemy doesn't care how long you live? He's always coming after you. And probably due to spiritual pride, um, Hezekiah opened up all the wealth, all the knowledge, all the insights of Israel to the Babylonians. And the prophet Isaiah heard about this. And he brought to him the word of the Lord. He said, the time will surely come when everything in your palace, all that your fathers have stored up until this day, will be carried off to Babylon. Nothing will be left, says the Lord. And some of your descendants, your own flesh and blood, here, your children and your grandchildren, those that will be born to you will be taken away and they will become eunuchs in the palace of the king of Babylon. Now, come on. How would you expect Hezekiah to respond here? Would you not expect him to fall before God just like he did when he had boils all over his body and say, God, I need you to move. I need you to change. I need you to have mercy on my family. He would do everything in his power we expect so that his sons and his grandsons, his daughters and his granddaughters would have the best opportunity to have the very best God has for their lives. So what the scripture shares about Hezekiah should shake us to the core of our being. For Hezekiah said, the word of the Lord you have spoken is good. For he thought, will there not be peace and security in my lifetime? And we find ourselves shaking our heads going, how could a man of God think that way? Something has gone awry Because all he thought about was himself. He no longer had the heart of a father that sacrifices for the best for their kids. As a quick side note, I want you to hear something. As a church leadership, we are convinced of something. We are convinced that the best things that God wants to do in the days to come will probably happen in the next generation of leadership. I get a sense of what God wants to do through this place. Core of my being, I can feel it. And it's so great. And so large, I just don't think it's going to happen in my time. Now, don't get all excited, like I'm not running out of here next week or anything like that. I'm not that old. I am just telling you, there is something coming, something emerging, and there's going to be another generation of leaders that rise up, build upon what this generation has done, and they're going to be part of seeing God bring revival to the world, and we're going to be a piece of that, and we as a church, we're committed to investing in that. We are committed to being a people who will not only invest in it, but we are raising up these immersion leaders that are one day going to take the reins of this place, and we're going to see God do incredible place, uh, things through this place for the entirety of the Lord. See, that's what spiritual Mothers want. That's what spiritual mothers want. They want to see God do the very best in the lives of their children. It is what biological parents want. It's what adoptive parents want. It is what spiritual parents want in their lives. We long. We ache. We sacrifice to see God do the best in the lives of our kids. And it's a sign that a parent isn't healthy. A parent isn't catching hold of what God wants when they won't sacrifice. They won't labor for their kids to have the best in life. Good parents don't want their kids to settle for anything less than best. Question. Do you think God has that heart for you? I mean, I don't want you to answer that question too quickly here. Do you think God, our heavenly father wants us, his children by adoption through Jesus Christ, do you think he wants us to have the very best in life? I understand there's a right church answer. I know if you're online, North Campus, South Campus, we all kind of know, even if you're relatively new to your spiritual journey, something feels like you're supposed to answer a certain way here right now. Don't give that answer yet. Let's not do the quick church answer this morning. Let's go a little deeper. Let's go to the core of our being. Do I believe, really believe, that my heavenly Father longs, aches, desires for me to have the very best? Before you answer, don't forget about the nature of our world right now. Maybe you've heard of a country called Ukraine and you know about Russia, and historically, we have heard about despots who would invade another nation just to take control of them, but we have not experienced that in our lifetime, and now we're seeing it. We have spent the past two years with all the struggles of a pandemic, and nobody knows whether it's over with or not, right? It just depends on what news site you're reading, who's uh, prognosticating about things, whether this thing is all over. But we do know this, we probably before the pandemic had this thought that science can take care of us, that technology and advancement and all this stuff, whatever humanity faces, it's pretty much going to be take care of it. That illusion's gone. We know that with even the advancements of modernity, life is still hard and life is still difficult. People have died too early. We have prayed prayers, not been answered the way we wanted them to be answered. Things haven't gone exactly like we want all the time. Come on. Can we get that honest in church? When things are going great, you know what I'm saying? When your prayers are being answered the way you want, you're getting the job promotion you want, your kids are saying yes, sir, and yes, ma'am, and they're doing everything they're supposed to be doing. When things are going like you want to go, most of the time it's easy to say, whoo, God wants me to have the best. But what about when it's not? What about when life is hard? What about when your prayer didn't get answered the way you wanted it to get answered? What about when life is uncertain and unsettled? Do I truly believe that Jesus wants the best in my life? Listen to me. I am confident it is one of the most important questions we can answer on an ongoing basis in our faith journey. I'm confident. Pretty close to being convinced it is the most important question we can ask on an ongoing basis. Because I, from what I can see in scripture, God designed us to pursue that which we think will bring the best in life. I get this idea when I go back to the beginning of humanity. I see Adam and Eve, they're in a place called what? The Garden of Eden. We use that imagery today as a place of perfection. Listen to me. It wasn't just an image. It was a real place. They lived in perfection. No difficulties, no struggles, no uncertainty. The world Adam and Eve lived in was nothing like the world we face today. They didn't have 24-hour news cycles. They didn't have Fox News and ABC News and CNN and all these news sources out there because there was nothing to report on. There was no negative, there was no struggles, there were no problems. And in perfect circumstances, the enemy comes to Eve and Adam. And he tempts them. And he said, did God really tell you you couldn't eat of that one tree? That tree in the middle of the garden, that tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And Eve is the one that responded and said, yep, God said you must not eat from the tree that's in the middle of the garden. And you must not even touch it or you're going to die. You're not going to die, said the serpent, to the woman. For God knows that when you eat of it, your eyes are going to be opened. And you're going to be like God, knowing both good and evil. Now look at that. He is saying, in other words, God's holding out on you. You think he wants what's best for you. He only wants what's best for him. He doesn't want what's best for you. And that question, does God really, truly want what's best for me and my life? That question was what brought sin into the world. That question is still the source of every temptation you face today. Every temptation is, will I do what God wants or will I do this? And it really comes down to, if I do what God wants, is it going to lead to best? That temptation, do I truly believe Jesus wants the very best for my life? It's not just a question we ask. It's a question that's been asked by followers of Jesus from every generation, starting with number one. The Apostle Paul, you can see him writing about this throughout his letter. There's one letter. To the church of Colossae. We call it the letter of Colossians. Paul is writing to them. It was a church that he didn't start. A spiritual son by the name of Epaphras actually was the one that probably started it. But Paul had heard about all the things that are going on them and he decided to write them a letter. He's writing from prison and he begins the letter. You got to read the letter this week. It's only three chapters. So you can do like Romans 9, 10, and 11 and Colossians 1 through 3, and you'll be in great shape. You got your reading for this week, okay? He starts with a prayer. From the day we heard about your faith, we have not ceased to pray for you, asking that you may be filled with the knowledge of his will and all spiritual wisdom and understanding. Come on, how many of you want to know the will of God for your life? Put your hands up right now. We all do. How many of you struggle knowing the will of God? Do not have to put your hand up yet? We all wrestle to a level, but he says all spiritual wisdom and understanding so that you may walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing to him bearing fruit in every good work and increasing in the knowledge of God, being strengthened with how much power? All power. How many of you want all power in your life right now? Listen to what he's praying. According to his glorious might, for all endurance and patience with joy. America's got a lot of anger right now, not a lot of joy. Got a lot of division, not a lot of joy. Maybe the reason is the next, giving thanks to the Father, because maybe we like gratitude. The Father who has qualified you to share in the inheritance of the saints in light, he has delivered us from the domain of darkness. Somebody ought to say amen to that right there. And transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved Son, in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sin. Now, I understand that's a real churchy sounding prayer. Some of you are thinking, what in the world did he just say? You're going to have to go back and read it and think on it, dissect it and meditate on it. But I want you to think about something. God inspired the apostle to pray this prayer, not just for the church of Colossae, but for every church, every believer that would come along in the days to come, which includes you and I. Why? Why would God have Paul pray this prayer? Guys, listen to me. Every prayer in the Bible Every promise is a reflection of the heart of God for you and I. Every prayer, every promise in the New Testament reflects God's desires for us this is what God longs for us to be what God longs for to be increasingly true in our lives so in the prayer Jesus longs for us to know his will for our lives for us to not merely exist but for our lives to matter in eternal ways he wants us to live with a supernatural power for us to be strong no matter the circumstances of life for us to have hearts overflowing with joy and gratitude for us to understand the greatness of his inheritance for the of what's going to come when we get to heaven. I mean, think about it. All these things we listed, what would your life be like if they became increasingly true? If more and more we walked in these things, would it not be leading to that which is better? Could I be so bold as to say, would it lead to that which is best? And this is just one prayer. One expression of the heart of God. Another prayer. May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace as you trust in him so that you may overflow with hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. I don't even have to ask. I know you want peace no matter the situation. I know you want joy. There's not contingent on circumstances. I know that we want to be a person that no matter where we go, we just ooze with hope. That it just leaks out of us everywhere because we've got so much of it in our lives. This is what God longs for us to have. This is what his heart aches for us. Does this not sound like life at its best? Jesus had an incredible sermon we call the Sermon on the Mount. The very first word out of his mouth, blessed. Eight times he says, you'll be blessed when, you'll be blessed when. Why would he say this? if he didn't desire for us to be blessed. He even summarized the reason that he came. Jesus said there's a thief. There's a battle going on. The battle goes all the way back to the Garden of Eden. The thief, he wants to steal, kill, and destroy. What does he want to kill, steal, and destroy? God's best for our lives. He wants to take away what God hungers for us to have. But I have come that they may have what? They may have what? Say it. And have it to the full. How many of you want full, abundant life? Shoot them up right now. That is the longing of God for you. That is the heart of the Father for you and I. That is what he aches for us to have. That is why the Apostle Paul prayed the way he prayed to the church at Colossae, but he also prayed that way to the church of Ephesus. He prayed that way to the church of Galatia and Corinth as well because it's the heart of God. But Paul didn't stop with a prayer. He also talked about how this could become reality in our lives. He prays this incredible prayer, and then he says, Jesus. Jesus. Jesus is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn among all creation. Now, just a little side note. There's an offshoot of Christianity that's among us in the West called the Jehovah Witness. The ones that come to your doors, knocks, things like that. And they actually teach, based upon Colossians 1.15, that Jesus was not divine. See, we believe the scripture teaches, and I believe this passage teaches, that Jesus was both God and man. He fully encompassed divinity and humanity in one person. But they will teach that because of this, that Jesus was not divine, he was only created. But they misunderstand this word firstborn. In the original language, the word firstborn is the word from which we get the word prototype. A prototype is that upon which something is based or formed. Listen to me, Jesus is the prototype of creation, the template upon which all things were created, the one for whom they were created. In a couple verses, we'll read them in just a second, Paul says that Jesus is the firstborn among the dead. Now, question was he the first one in the Bible to be raised from the dead? No, we go back to Elisha raising people from the dead. In the New Testament, Jesus had already raised three or four people from the dead. They rose back from the dead, but listen to me, they rose up mortal. They died again. But Jesus was the firstborn. He was the prototype of those that are going to come because one day Jesus is going to return. And those who have died are going to be raised up. There's going to be a resurrection of the dead and we will all be changed. And we will be like Jesus who died, but he was raised, but he was raised immortal. And he's going to change and he's going to give us an immortality. And he is the prototype The pattern of the rest that the rest of us will follow. See, we know from the verses, Jesus wasn't just man, he was also God. For by him, somebody say by him. By him, all things were created. Things you can see, things you cannot see. And it doesn't matter if they're lowly things that you think have no importance or they're big things that you think are of utmost importance because it's whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things were created, listen to it, by him, for him. If you want to know what your life's to be about, all things were created by him and for him. He is before all things, and in him all things hold together, and he is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in everything he might be, see the word, preeminent. Listen carefully to me. More than you can fathom, our Heavenly Father wants us to have the very best. He said, David, how can I be convinced of that? Jesus. Jesus. The Father aches, the Father longs. The Father is shouting. I don't know if the Father shouts. I think he shouts because I shout a lot and I want to be like him, so I guess I do. He is shouting, don't settle for less than the best. And the best is my son. The father longs for us to have the best, but Paul is telling us best is not automatic. You know how best comes about in our life? Best comes as Jesus only, is preeminent in our lives. You see, the followers of Jesus at Colossae face the same situation you and I face today. According to Ecclesiastes, there's nothing new under the sun. It gets packaged different, but it's the same. So in Colossae, this Roman city, they had temples to various gods and goddesses. And these gods and goddesses would be in charge of things that humanity believes will bring about best in their lives. So there would be a goddess to sex, there would be a god to money, there would be a goddess to beauty, there would be a god of of success, there would be a god of business, things such as that. And the norm of Roman society was that you kind of developed your own faith. Sounding familiar? That you would pick and choose from the sundry assortment of gods that existed out there. And you would make your list of the ones that you would worship and you would serve. That they would give to you the things that you would bring about best to your life. And then you hear about this one called Jesus. And you say, that sounds good. I'll add Jesus to my list. I'll serve all these other gods and goddesses that I've picked. But I'm going to add Jesus there to life. And you add these together thinking they'll bring about best in life. Now, I understand you're saying, David, we don't have temples to money. But I would challenge we serve it just the same. Ah, we don't have shrines to sex. Have you watched the media lately? The Internet? Feels like it's about the same. Let's be honest. We can struggle, just like those in days of old, to make Jesus an add-on to the things we pursue as we attempt to have the best life possible. And here is what Paul is shouting. Listen to me. Jesus does not work as an add-on. Jesus doesn't work as an addendum. He is preeminent. He is supreme. He created all things we know whether we can see it or we can't see it. Everything that calls itself an authority is derived from him because he alone is king of kings and lord of lords. Yet at the same time, he is one who loves in ways we cannot comprehend. And you say, "How, how do I know he's one that loves? We look at the cross. We look at the grave. And we know this, he is the firstborn among the dead. And what that shouts to you and I, no parent, no grandparent has given or sacrificed as much as Jesus so their child could have the chance at having the very best in life. But listen to me, best Best comes only as Jesus is preeminent in every facet of our lives. Not an add-on, not an addendum, not a supplement. Preeminent, first, foremost, our center, our source, our heart, the focus of our affections, the object of the totality of our worship. See, I'd ask you right now if you want best for your life, but we all do. It's the way God made us. And I believe right now, God is in heaven. Jesus at his right hand interceding. And I don't know if there are healthy tears in heaven, because I know the Bible says no more tears, but I think it means painful tears. But I wonder if he has tears in heaven going Abba. Let them settle for less than best. Don't let them settle for less. Because that's what healthy parents ache for their children to have. Best comes as Jesus, and Jesus only is our way, our truth, and our life best becomes truer and truer in our daily lives as we seek first Jesus' kingdom and his righteousness. Best comes as Jesus is preeminent in the totality of our lives. He said, C.S. Lewis said it so well. We are half-hearted creatures, fooling around with drink and sex and ambition when infinite joy is offered to us, like an ignorant child who wants to go on making mud pies in the slum because he cannot Imagine what is meant by the offer of a vacation by the sea. And then six words that rock my world more than any six words outside of Scripture. We are far too easily pleased. Our problem isn't that we desire too much. Listen to me. You were wired by the Almighty to long for everything he desires to give you. That is how good he is. Our problem is not that we long for too much. Our problem is we are satisfied with too little. We can be satisfied with created things. When the creator says you can have me, come near to me, I'll come near to you. Yeah, I have all these things that I give you as a blessing, but they are nothing compared to me. Because the prize of our faith is Jesus. We get him. We can draw near to him. We can have him. And all these other things, they'll come along. He'll take care of those. Seek first his kingdom and his righteousness. And all the other things, he'll take care of those. He'll add them to you as you need them, but you need him. Because best comes as we draw near to Jesus. Don't settle. Listen to me. Don't settle for created things. When the creator says that we can have him. Don't settle for less than God's best for your life. And best only comes as Jesus is preeminent. I'm not talking about a Thursday night or a Sunday morning church service. I'm talking about a school. I'm talking about at work. I'm talking about in our relationships. I'm talking about in your singleness if God has called you at this stage of your life to be single. I'm talking about marriage if He's called you to be married. I'm talking about if He's called you to be a parent in your parenting. I'm talking about with this thing called money. I'm talking about what you buy, what you don't buy, what you give, what you don't give. You say, David, what about? You? It doesn't matter what it is. He's just preeminent. He is the center of everything in my existence, day in, day out. He's preeminent on Mondays. We don't take a day off on Thursday and say it's my day. The rest of the days are Jesus. Every day is his day. He commands it. He commands it because it leads to best. He prohibits it. It leads to best. And as we live that way, we find the best in our life. Come on. Take a moment to be honest. Do you believe Jesus really wants the best in your life? I mean, we're going into the Easter season. In three weeks, we will celebrate with Christians all around the world, the cross and the resurrection a time that's meant to remind us of what is central, the most important thing that's ever happened until Jesus returns and it communicates the heart of God is it enough in the midst of all the fallenness all the difficulties, all the unsettledness all the uncertainty, is the cross enough to convince us his heart for us is not just good, he longs for us as a father to have what's best to ask you earlier do you believe that God wants you to have the very best in life and I bet all of us pretty quickly said well yeah God wants me to have the best, sure. And it was really kind of casual. It's a church answer. But you know what the real test is? The degree to which we live with Jesus as preeminent in our lives is the degree we truly believe he wants me to have the very best in life. Actions show belief. You want to know what we really believe? Look at the way you live life. And then what we're supposed to do is sometimes we look the way we're living life and we're not living the way we're supposed to so we repent. We say, God, I'm not doing this and we ask God to change the way we think so that we can live the way we're supposed to live. We ask him to change what we believe but we can look at our actions because you know a tree by its fruit. If this is accurate and you can debate it at lunch, you can tweet about it, I don't care. If this is true, I'm going to say straight up, I've got a lot of room for Jesus to be preeminent in my life. I still have a lot of room to grow. And I think like most of us, I find myself in some phases moving forward, and as much as I don't want to, I find myself moving backwards in other phases. And as we move into this Easter season, here's what I'm doing. I'm saying, Jesus. Would you give me a new measure of grace that you can be preeminent in everything in my life? You are the preeminent one, yet so many times I find myself just adding you on to other things. I find it in my thoughts and I find it in my actions. And there's a part of me that really, really, really believes he wants the very best. But my actions and my thoughts indicate there's a part of me that doesn't. I want this part to go away. And I want it crucified. And I want to live sharing with the world the greatness of who Jesus is. And I don't want to live my life going after the very best. I don't want to settle for anything less than best. That's what I believe will bring honor to my father. Because that's what he aches for me to have. So I'm just asking for grace for that. And maybe before we go, you want to ask for that grace as well. So how about we do this? Let's all bow our heads, close our eyes. Not because you have to do that to pray. It just helps us focus for a minute. And just ask yourself the question, am I I seeking for Jesus to be more preeminent in my daily life? I would have to tell you probably in the past few weeks, past few months, I'd have to say, no, I wasn't seeking that. I didn't know it. But I wasn't seeking it. I confess it. I'm just asking that it change. Have you surrendered your life to Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior? Have you become His follower? You can do so right now. And I know some of you are thinking, David, if you knew my story, I I don't have to know your story. I know His story. And I promise you, His story is greater than your story. And His story will bring victory to your story if you'll just surrender your story to His story. You can do it right now. Just ask, do I love him? Am I pursuing him? Am I seeking to obey what he says? You say, David, I I love him, but I don't need to worry about obedience. But Jesus said, if you love me, you'll obey my commandments. The reason he said that, because his commandments lead to best. Do I trust that? Do I want my life to give him honor? None of us have arrived. We all fall short. But I'm telling you this, we can go on the journey of next steps. And that next step always is to grab hold of the hand of Jesus and say, I just want to stay in step with you. Wherever you go, I will go. Whatever you do, I will do. Whatever you say, I will listen to. I want you to be preeminent. And I'm asking for grace for Jesus to be more preeminent in my life. And maybe you with honesty and integrity can say the same thing as we go into this Easter season. You would just say, Jesus, I want grace for you to be more preeminent in my life. Would you give me grace? I don't want to settle for anything less than what you designed me to have. I want to worship you in that way. Would you give me grace? Would you give me power for you to be more preeminent? If you would say that with integrity, stick your hand up right now and say, Jesus, I want more grace. I want more grace for you to be preeminent, for you to be first, for you to be foremost. Come on. For you to be center of all things. Show me what that would look like, Jesus. Father, we are amazed that you would love us. The psalmist said, what are humans that you are mindful of us? The son of man, that you would have anything to do with us. Yet your heart is so great, you would not only be mindful of us, Your heart longs for us like no parent ever has, for us to have best. It is not because we are deserving, but because you are amazing. So let our lives, oh God, show that we trust you to provide that in the way we live as you being first and foremost. Show us every way where we're not doing that, and we want to take steps towards doing that. Fill us with your grace. In your power to do that, I ask in Jesus' name, amen.